from Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. But I would like to read Philippians 4, 18 and 19 before I, uh, as a combination, but my text really is from verse 19. But I, this is Paul writing to the church at Philippi, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell and a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Now, at that point, Paul is saying, I'm okay. I have all. I abound. Now, you'd have to go and look to see where he was when he said that. Uh, to understand, he was saying that he had all and abounded. When, when you look at his life circumstances, you know that he did not have all that we would think you'd need to have to be content. But then in verse 19, he says, But my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And I would just like to preach a while this morning from the thought, God will supply. God will supply. There's a way that, that the scripture says God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The limitations, the boundaries that are on the amount that he can supply are the boundaries of the ability of God Almighty. So it's, it's limitless. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for being real, for being our supplier. There's folks here that could testify, Lord, you have supplied all of their needs according to your riches. God, I ask that you would touch, let this service be continued, touched by you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. God has a way of meeting every need you would have. You can't bring a need that's bigger than what he can supply. God has a way of supplying all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God is a wonderful supplier. We have a way of relating with Jesus Christ on many fronts. We don't just relate to him as our healer. We don't just relate to him as our savior. We don't just relate to him as our friend. We don't just relate to him as our comforter. We don't just relate to him as, as that, those different relationships are, are, well, everything that God has described himself as. But when we can look at a single verse of Scripture and say, my God shall supply. There is no need we can bring to him that he cannot supply. That gives me a confidence. I love the songs that we've sang today. gives me a confidence to know that God can do that for me, for you. I'd like to read another passage of Scripture from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. For that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. To, to stand and boldly say, I will not fear. 
That's a, that's a pretty tough statement. I will not fear what man can do to me because God is my helper. Another passage of Scripture from Deuteronomy 32, verses 26 through 29. A few verses, but there is, this is perhaps Moses writing in the book of Deuteronomy. There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun who rideth upon the heaven in thy help and in his excellency on the sky. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are those everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, Destroy them. Israel then shall dwell in safety alone. The fountain of Jacob shall be upon a land of corn and wine, and also his heaven shall drop down dew. Happy art thou, art, O heaven, excuse me, happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee. O people saved by the Lord, the shield of thy help. And who is the sword of thine excellency? And thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and thou shalt tread upon thy high places. This is, this is a positive scripture, initially, openly speaking about Israel, but applied to people today who are part of the body of Christ. And he lets us know that the eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are those everlasting arms. You can't fall when you're cradled in his arms. I just want to tell you that. I want to say it again. You cannot fall when you are cradled in your arms, in his arms. I almost dropped a baby one time. He was cradled in my arms, but he still had a will of his own, and he took him jump. When I wasn't expecting it, I nearly lost him. That had been horrible. Broke his neck, bust his head. Hmm. Sometimes I think I did drop him. <laughs> I have two sons. Pastor, when you watch this video, call me. <laughs> call me. This is a test. This is a test to see if you really do watch these videos. Underneath are the everlasting arms. As long as we don't let the, our own will cause us to kick and jump, Contrary to his grip, we cannot fall when we're sheltered in his arms. And I would like to just preach a little bit. I would like to look at another passage of Scripture. David said, Psalm 103, verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Now this is, this is a psalmist writing this. He was a shepherd, he was a giant killer, he was a, a bear killer and a lion killer. He was a writer of psalms, he was a king of Israel, and yet he can still speak to us today. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. How many of you can, how many of you can remember the day you were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? Now why can you remember that? That's a benefit, but 
Why have you not forgotten it? Was it the novelty? You know, it's not very often that you go in a little room and put on some other clothes and you go out and, and you're, you're baptized, you're dunked in water in front of a lot of people. That doesn't happen very often in a person's life. But it's more than just getting wet. There is something spiritual that transpired that day that imprinted it indelibly upon your mind more than just a physical happening or event, but there was a spiritual thing that took place as you was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. How many of you remember when you received the Holy Ghost? Well, I see quite a few hands going up. I've talked to some people. You received the Holy Ghost? Yes. Uh, when? Uh, I don't know when. I said, well, I can understand. Maybe you don't remember the date, but, but do you know where? Uh, no. When they answer those two questions in the negative, I have a little thing in my mind that says it never happened because they don't, they don't know when it happened, where it happened. So there's probably a, if, if it didn't impress you that much, it probably never happened. You know, there's sometimes that we look at the things that have happened to us and we thrill to them. There's been some glorious experiences. How many of you have ever been healed by the Lord? You know that you were healed by God. It wasn't Excedrin. It wasn't chemo. Although God works through those things, please understand, I'm not, I'm not belittling those things. But there's sometimes that you don't, that the hand of man doesn't come near you in that time of sickness, and yet God comes near and you are healed. Do you know for a fact you were healed? How many? That's wonderful. That is glorious. That's a testimony to all of us. You know, but there's sometimes <clears throat> that nothing happens. And I may have mentioned this in the church. I don't remember, but I have a, a missionary friend, and he recently wrote a piece for the Herald, and he just sent it, and, and I got it, and I liked it so much, we put it in the Herald. But at his house on the mission field, he needed to do something in a pie, and I forget what it was now, but he... He didn't take time to go get a ladder. He just put a, a, some tubs. You know what tubs are? Not foot tubs, but tub totes. Some people call them a tote. It's a plastic little box thing with lids. You clip it on. So he put one on there, and it wasn't tall enough. He put another one. Wasn't. So he put three, ended up with three totes, tubs. And he stood on a chair, and then he climbed up on the tote, and he was able to reach whatever he was doing. And he said, wouldn't you know it? Nothing happened. I stepped on the chair after I finished my job. I did crack one of the lids of the totes, but nothing happened. He said another time he was on his way to a, uh, a meeting, rough territory, rough country. He was in his She's for Christ vehicle, but low, and, and he was traveling horrible roads, crooked roads, slippery roads, narrow roads, no shoulders, steep uh, embankments on both sides, and halfway to the meeting in, a, in a, a sharp curve, nothing happened. And he took time in writing or He said, I just want to thank the Lord for those things that never happened. How many of you have something early one morning, you took off driving and you said, oh, did I turn the iron off? 
and you wrestle in your mind, do I, do I turn around and go back home and check it or just say, well, you know, I bought the more expensive iron that had the automatic shutoff, which are probably, you probably have to have them nowadays. But, and so you don't, you don't trust that. You go back home and you make sure the iron is off, which it always is. I've never gone home and found that I had left it on. Maybe it had already gone off by the time I got home. And then on my way to work, just a, it happened just a few minutes before I got there. Police hadn't arrived yet. Ambulances hadn't arrived yet, but there was an awful accident on the freeway. And somehow God, in his wisdom, spared me. He delayed me. And others would say, that's just a coincidence, but I don't say that. I say it's the hand of God. Forget not all of his benefits. And that is a benefit of God. He has a way of touching us in ways that we never understand. So we forget not all of his benefits. I would like to tell you this morning, if you let him, God will fight your battles. Some people live on the frazzle edge of life because they think they have to fight all the battles. But God will fight your battles. And let me just give you one biblical illustration that happened in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. Judah was faced with a battle. There was an enemy coming against Judah. All the Assyrian armies and the kings, they were, they were coming together to fight against uh, Judah. And Judah was disturbed about it. Judah called on the people of Jerusalem and he told them. He said, be strong and courageous and be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria nor for the multitudes that are with him for there is more with us than with him. For with him is the arm of the flesh but with us is the Lord our God to help us and fight our battles. Now if the story ended there, it would just be a promise. If the story ended there, it would just be a hope. But I'm glad to tell you the story didn't end there. You can continue reading the story about the arm of the flesh was not sufficient. The king of Assyria taunted Judah and its people, said, we've conquered other nations their gods couldn't give them victory over us. What makes you think your God's going to give you victory over us? But the people of Israel had a confidence in their God. They trusted him. And sure enough, God brought the victory. How did he do it? Not by Israel fighting, but he sent an angel against the generals, the kings, and the armies, and they in their own way was destroyed by the, by the angels that came against them. God wrought the victory. God fought their battles, and they came through on the other side victorious. They didn't have to, to really lift a hand, although they lifted a voice in prayer and praise. God fought their battles for them. There's sometimes when we face things in life that we really need to let God fight our battles. <clears throat> Some situations are bigger than we can handle. We don't know how we can ever do it. And the good news is, it's not your battle. It's not your battle. You've got to do your part, I understand that. But God is the one that brings the victory. I want to tell you something else about God will supply. Children of Israel were prisoners in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt for many years. But the Bible says that God heard them as, as he heard them cry by reason of their groanings. 
they began groaning and, and crying because they wanted deliverance from the Egyptian captivity. They, were, they could not overthrow the Egyptians on their own. They were numerically strong enough, but they were not unified. They were not an army. They were just a, a group of slaves without purpose and direction. They needed a leader. And God began dealing with a man named Moses. He sent Moses back to where Moses had originally been, back to Pharaoh's house. And God began the deliverance process. The ten plagues happened. The final plague, God killed all of the firstborn in Egypt, but in the land of Goshen where God's people were living, none of the firstborn died as long as that blood was applied. It was a great story. The Pharaoh was so upset by all of that, he, he said, look, leave, just leave. Just get out of my kingdom. You've ruined, you've destroyed my kingdom. Leave. He finally came to that point of desperation. And so they left. They headed out, but when they got near the Red Sea, they happened to look behind them, and here comes Pharaoh with what remained of any armies that he would have. They came chasing after them. Pharaoh was wanting them to come back to him and build some more pyramids or whatever they was going to do for him. Red Sea in front of them. Mountains on both sides of them. Pharaoh coming from behind. They were in a, in a tough spot. It was a battle they couldn't win. And God told Moses, just stand still, see the glory of the Lord. So he stood still. God did tell him to do something. He said, just stretch out your rod over the, the Red Sea. And he did, and the Red Sea parted. They crossed on dry land. Miracle after miracle occurred. Then when they got through, the, Pharaoh saw it happen. He said, well, I can do that. So he headed across the, the Red Sea, and he ended up getting drowned, he and his armies. They got to the other side. God fed them with various things, but it, at first, before God started feeding them, they were upset. Even before the crossing of the Red Sea, they made this kind of a complaint. The children of Israel did. Moses, why did you bring us out here in the wilderness? Why did you start us on a journey for, for, some, for a, a pie-in-the-sky, hope-filled dream, a promise that we were going to go back to a promised land somewhere? You, you start us out on this journey, but then you're just going to let us starve out here. We don't have anything to eat. We're going to die. The, the enemy's behind us, the, river, the, the Red Sea in front of us. We're going to die here. We're going to starve here. And Why did you do this to us? And God brought deliverance. You would think that after they crossed the Red Sea and God started the manna from heaven every morning and the, the quail every evening, you'd think that they'd say, oh, this is great. But then they come, they got thirsty. Every time they came into a tough spot, they forgot that my God shall supply. It was like, a, it was like they woke up in a new world every day. Oh, God's not big enough to handle today. So I've got to complain and whine and gripe. And I want to tell you, how many of you have had God work a miracle in your life? How many of you have had God supply a need in your life? Testimony after testimony. I just want to tell you, just because he supplied your need doesn't mean that's the end of your need. Some people lose out with God because after he supplies need after need, they come to a particular need that in their misjudging of God's ability, they say he's not big enough for this one. So I just might as well leave church, leave God, leave whatever else because he's not big enough for this one. 
David said, forget not all of his benefits. He said, I shall supply all of your needs. In the past, he's done it. I was talking to someone recently, and they were, they were facing a pretty tough battle. And She said, it was a lady. She said, I've been through a tough time this week. I said, really? Yeah. I said, repeat that sentence again to me. And she said, I've been through a rough time this week. I said, say it one more time. She said, I've been through a rough time this week. I said, you said a very key word, through, through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Yea, though I walk through. And the lady said, I've gone through a lot. I said, yes, ma'am, but you have made it through it by the grace of God. And, and she was a little encouraged, I hope a lot encouraged. She doesn't trust God as we trust God, but she does have a, a very deep walk with God. And she started looking afresh at some of the promises of God. My God shall supply all of your needs. And you don't just have one need. You keep having need after need after need. <clears throat> There's some gray-headed folk here today. Uh, I would just like to tell you, you have a little edge on those who are not as gray. The reason I say that, you've come through more needs. You've seen God supply more times. You have a, a background of success with God that gives you a confidence in the future. When David came to fight Goliath, how did he know he could win when, in his battle against Goliath? What was his answer to Saul? He says, I, I killed a bear. I've killed a lion. I can kill this giant. Now, he was depending on God, of course, but he had some victories in the past to, to convince him, I can have victory in the future. The more experiences of needs and God supplying those needs that you have, the more successes in the past, the more confidence you can walk forward. A brand new convert has that fresh faith in God, and I love it. I love Brother Steve's testimonies. I love it. Talk to him for a little bit. It'll make you feel like God can do anything. He's told you, but I just have to tell this one occasionally. When I want to give glory to God recently, I tell him this story, Brother Steve. Brother Steve had gotten the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. He hadn't been a praying man. I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but these are words that he put in my mind. He hadn't been a praying man. He wasn't a believer in God. But after he came to God, he became a believer in God and he saw the value of prayer and he, he began praying, but he really didn't know how to pray. And if I get the story wrong, you tell him all right after service. <clears throat> he told the pastor one day, Pastor, uh, I, so, next Sunday, I, or the, whenever, two Sundays away, I, I won't be able to be at, at church that weekend. That's, we, my, my brothers and I, we take an annual hunting trip and we go, we go hunting. We've got a special place to go. And, and I, I just don't want to miss that family time with my brothers. So, so he's, he missed church, and that was with the pastor's blessings. 
So he's at the pastors, I mean, he's at the, the hunting camp doing what he started doing, and that's reading his Bible. Uh, how, how many times have he read it through now since you st- He's halfway through reading the Bible twice since he received the Holy Ghost, or maybe a slightly before he received the Holy Ghost. He thought, you know, if, if this book is really going to guide my life, I might as well read it. A pretty smart observation. And so early morning in the camp, while his brothers are still sleeping, he's up early reading his Bible, drinking his coffee, praying. And finally, you know, they would wake up. But, but one day he was early time. He was drinking his coffee, reading his scriptures, and, and he decided to pray. And this was his prayer, and correct me if I'm wrong. He said, Lord, I really don't know if I can pray for myself. I don't know if that's right, you know, because I don't know all about prayer. I, I think it's okay to pray for other people, but to pray for something I want or need, I don't know if that's okay. But, Lord, if it's okay, I would, I would like to kill a deer on this deer hunt. And so he went out hunting that day, and very quickly... Killed a buck. And I forget how many points. 11 point bucks. Go count the pastor's points. Eight point. <laughs> Just kind of rub it in when you see him. 11 points. His brothers hear him shoot and, and find out about it, and they see 11 point buck. They get all excited. Man. Steve, you must really have the right camouflage or the right deer call or the right no scent, whatever deer hunters do to, to kill deer. The right gun. You must have done it all right. He says, no, I just prayed about it. And to his non-believing brothers, they didn't understand that. But God let him know, you can pray for something for yourself. And as small a thing as that was, God was able to do it in such a timely message that it became a timely manner that it became a message even to the brothers that my God shall supply. Sometimes you may be hesitant to pray for something for yourself. You may have said, God, I've been here too many times asking for this and I'm not going to do it. But I want to tell you, God will supply all of your needs. You don't need to look anywhere else but Jesus Christ. And one of the main reasons you don't need to look anywhere else is because there are no answers anywhere else except in Jesus Christ. I know that sounds simplistic, but it's true. I know it sounds too easy to to be right, but it's true. I'd like to tell you one other thing. Children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> they was heading before they actually became started wandering. They came to the Jordan River. <clears throat> it's time to cross over. Moses sent twelve spies into the Promised Land to check things out, to know what they had to face when they got over there. 
So those 12 spies went across and, and they began spying out the land. They, they went from town to town and they saw that they were walled cities. They looked around at the people and they said that they are giants. In fact, the 10 of those spies, by com in their comparing, they said, then, and we in our own eyes are grasshoppers compared to what those giants are like. And, and they, the fruit, it, the land flowed with milk and honey. It was a land of abundance. And they brought back to Moses these wonderful testimonies of, of how great the land was. The two little negatives were the men are giants and the cities are walled. And the third one would be we are like grasshoppers in our own sight. They, they compare themselves to the enemy and they look small. Had they compared themselves to God and his ability to supply all their needs, they would have been bigger than the giants because they had God on their side, but they didn't consider that. And so they came back and ten of the spies said, we can't do it. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, oh, yes, we can do it. And so majority won, ten against two. People sided with all those ten and they couldn't go over God was displeased. God, in a sense, if you want to use the word, he cursed them. The, this generation, this older generation, they're not going to go into the promised land. You're going to wander for 40 years in the wilderness until all of that generation dies off and then the new generation that didn't go to this time of testing and fail, they're going to go across the Jordan, in that time. But until then, no. Does that sound like God was being judgmental? Yeah, he was. I'm passing judgment on your failure. But the interesting thing is, the next morning, manna was still there. Well, still came. For the next 40 years, it still kept coming. Even though they were a failed people, God still provided. Now, because of their particular sin and, and God's judgment of them, those, the older group passed away, the younger group was able to go across. That was his particular judgment for that particular people. What can I learn from this? I can learn that when I fail, he still provides. In my time of failure, failure to trust him, failure to obey him, in my time of failure, if I will turn to him and say, God, I need you to supply my needs. I need you to do it. I need you to do it. <clears throat> Time to go to the promised land. Moses died. God called Joshua to take Joseph's place. Now, Joseph was a man that would be hard to replace. Uh, Moses would be a hard man to replace. He had a he had a special deliverance at the time of near his birth. He spent his time of education in the house of Pharaoh. He heard from God in a burning bush. 
He went back and he saw the plagues. He just waved his hand over the, over the Nile River and it turned to blood. He waved his, his hand or his rod and locusts covered the earth. And now you're going to replace him with somebody? Who else has done all that? So he chose Joshua. God chose Joshua because Joshua had walked with God and walked with Moses. They'd spent time in relationship with God together. He was God's choice. But three times, God gave to Joshua this little phrase. And I would like to just read the first one to you. This is in Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Be strong and of good courage. If there's a word that could be addressed to people who are in a time of instability, as Brother Lowe opened the service with those scriptures, if, if there is a word from God that would help you in your time of insecurity, in your time of facing battles and struggles that are bigger than you are, you've wrestled with them for years, you've fought with them, you've struggled trying to get through this on the, on the bright side of things, but somehow you've always hit a rock wall and you're trying to, to obtain what you thought was the, the better thing. Good word for you and for me is be strong, be of good courage. Now, in, in Joshua's case, he told him that three times. The first one I just read. The second one, he told them, Be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses thy servant commanded thee. And then the third time, he said, Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. The first time, he talked to him about leadership. I'm going to be with you as you lead this people into a land and divide the land to the people. The second time, he said, Be strong, be of good courage, for I am with you as you follow the commandments of Moses. As you obey God's word, I'm going to be with you. The third time he says, be strong and, and be of good courage. Be not dismayed, for the Lord is with thee whithersoever thou goest. On that third time he said, I am with you no matter where you are. I'm with you. Now God told those three things to Moses. But I want to tell the same to you today. You may feel that you're not a leader, but I want to tell you, you are a leader. Look around you. You're influencing somebody. Look around you. You're influencing someone for good or bad. You are a leader in some fashion. And he told to Joshua, be strong, be of, of good courage. I'm going to use you in leadership as you go forward. And then he said, I want to use you. Be courageous. I'm going I'm to use you as you obey God's word. And be, of strong, be, of good, be strong, be of good courage, because be not dismayed because I am going to be with you wherever you go. God shall supply all your needs. How do I know that? It's three verses like that. I know God is going to supply my needs. He's going to give it to me because I need it, because I have to have it, and I'm thankful. <clears throat> There's a verse of Scripture I would like to read. From 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. Now the Lord of peace himself 
give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. This is Paul's closing remark to the Thessalonians. He wrote to the church at Thessalonica. This is the second Thessalonian letter, and that's how he closed it. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. Sometimes when I read the Bible, questions just jump out at me. Sometimes it's because the question is really there. Other times the answer is there, and I can understand the answer better if I will figure out what the question is. Figure out. Now that's kind of colloquial way of saying it. Figure out. Sorry about that. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. Who is giving this stuff? The Lord, I'm reading it to you again. Now the Lord of peace himself, himself give you peace always by all means. Who's giving it? The Lord is giving it. This second question is, what is he giving? Peace. How is he giving it? But what does the verse say? Now the Lord of peace himself shall give you peace always by all means. How's he going to do it? By all means. Whatever it takes for you to get it. Any means. I'm going to give it to you by all means. And then he says, the Lord be with you all. Now that, that was more than just a closing greeting in a letter. Did any of you still know how to write a letter? How many has written a letter in the month of May that you put a stamp on and mailed? One, two, two. Oh, so somebody's holding up a bunch of fingers. Yes. I wrote a, a card and didn't have a stamp. It didn't get mailed. It was well done, but it didn't get mailed. What do you call it when you say, Dear Mr. Smith? What do you call that? The greetings, the salutations. What do you say, Sincerely yours, P. Daniel Buford? What is that called? The, the sincerely yours, what is that called? Closing, different schools of business writing will tell you different things, but closing. This is not just a simple closing of sincerely yours. Well, we don't mean that. We're not sincerely theirs. I mean, do you write a letter to the, the bank loan officer and say sincerely yours? No, I'm not sincerely yours. It wasn't just a plain old closing, concluding remark that Paul was making. Paul was driving home a doctrinal truth even as he closed out his letter to them, his epistle to them. He did it. How long will he give this? Always. Who gives it? What does he give? How does he give it? Those are great questions to ask. Romans chapter 8, verses 33 through 39. Let me read the the passage. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. 
Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulations or distress or persecution or famine, nakedness, pearls, uh, peril, sword? Those three questions are asked. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who can lay fault on you as God's elect? The Bible calls the devil the accuser of the, of the brethren, but he does it in the context that he's the father of all lies. So his accusations are not valid. The devil cannot accuse or bring accusation against you. He cannot lay anything to the charge of God's elect. The reason for that is it is God that justifieth. And if God justifies, he has the right and the privilege to judge in his choice. I love reading scripture when the question is there and the answer is right behind it. I love God for doing it that way. Makes it simple for me. Look at the next one, verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? Who condemns you? Oftentimes we condemn ourselves. We've sinned in the past. There's a lady that I knew from many, many years ago, another state, and she was a wonderful lady of the church, a prayer warrior, but she never felt victorious. And I, I asked her one time many years ago, I said, I love your prayers, but why? And she had told me, why, why do you not feel victorious? She said, I have done some bad things in the past, and they haunt me. And I, I gave her scripture and worked with her a while back then. And she's a wonderful lady and victorious now, not because of me, but because of the power of the Word of God. But as long as we condemn in ourselves, we can't look to Him to supply our need. Because we build up a barrier between us and Him. But we can real, when we can come to a realization, He cannot condemn me. The Bible says, who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Who died for me? The Bible says in one place, you can't judge another man's servant. You see a, you see a, a person in, in a store somewhere, and, and they're just standing around, not doing anything. I was at a restaurant not long ago. There was two or three people over there just standing around and I was waiting to get my check. Drumming my fingers. My wife hates it when I drum my fingers. We were driving yesterday and I was drumming my fingers. She said, Put she, it, that's the only way I can get her to hold my hand. She will hold my hand to stop me from drumming my fingers. on your. But at the restaurant, I was drumming my fingers because I was ready to go, ready to do things. But... I'm not paying their salary. Well, in a way I am because I'm paying for the meal, but they have a boss. They have an employer. I can't really judge them. He may have said, you take a break for the next 30 minutes. I don't know what happened. We cannot judge another man's servant. The Bible tells us that. And since I'm not a servant of the devil, he can't condemn me. Now, if I was his, I'd be a different story. But I'm not his. I belong to God. He's the one that died for me. And then the next question, who shall separate me from the love of God, love of Christ? And then it gives this whole list, shall tribulation, shall distress. How many of you ever had distress? They have stress relievers. 
you know, distress and that stress, stress. We have to have stress relievers. Persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. As it is written, we were killed all the day long for his sake. We were counted as sheep for the slaughter. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall, I be, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. The question is asked, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? The answer is nothing. Nothing. And so why do I really trust God to supply all of my needs? Why should I? It's because He's the one that loves me. There's nothing that can separate me from His love. Nothing that I've ever done will separate me from the love of God. I can't get dirty enough that in His all-knowing wisdom, He can't clean me up. I may have to turn to Him in repentance, but He can clean me up. In all these things, we're more than conquerors. And I know I'm looking at a clock, but I want to bring one more piece to this puzzle. Some of you have loved ones who've already passed away. In the South, we always duck our head when we say they passed. It's kind of a respectful way, you know. How many of you had someone pass? How many of you they left you something in a will. I'd put my hand down. Any of you get left anything in a will? Some of you may not want to raise your hand. I see some hands. You ever wondered what Jesus left you in his will? We, the list is long, but I want to center in on one thing today. You know, Jesus had a way. He, he willed his body to Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph took it, dressed it, put it in his tomb. Jesus was hanging on the cross, and he looked down, and he saw John, the beloved, and his mother, and he says, John, behold your mother. They really were not mother-son, but he said, he willed that father-mother relationship. I mean, a son-mother relationship. He willed it to John. John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. He willed that son and mother relationship to him. <clears throat> he willed his spirit back to God. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. He gave certain things away. He willed certain things. But I ask you, what did he will to you? And here is one thing. To his disciples, he said, this is John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as this world giveth, Give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I've, I've spoken on the subject of peace here before. But I just want to let you know that God has willed to you 
peace. You don't have to live in war-torn, emotional environments. God wants you to have peace. And how does he do that? It's because he supplies all of our need according to your riches in Christ Jesus. He has a way of doing it for us. John 14, verse 2. Jesus said it so well. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Even my future, God said, I will supply a place for you. All my life down here, he will supply my need. But even after I pass away, even after my death, there is something, there is a, an eternal part of me that's going to have an eternal home because he has gone away to prepare a place for me. When I think of Jesus supplying all of my need, there's not one of my needs that he's neglected. There's not one of my needs that he is not satisfied. And I have a confidence that he'll do the same for you and has. Can you trust him to satisfy your need? I said earlier, as long as you stay cradled in those everlasting arms, you cannot fall. You can jump out, but he's not going to drop you. You can get out of those arms, but as long as you cling to him, as you embrace his embrace, There's a strong, secure place for you. Shall we stand today? I read again our text from Philippians 4, verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's who he is, and that's what he does. When we look at scriptures, we'll find it throughout. You can read it. Open the Bible to any book and you're going to find where God is supplying the needs of people. And because he supplies, supplied their needs and because in my past he supplied my needs and in your past I trust and pray that you've allowed him to supply your needs, it gives us a confidence that going forward he's going to supply our needs. But sometimes you just have to sit down and label your needs. I heard about a guy who wanted to please God, wanted to, in a sense, he kind of worked the word earn in there. He wanted, wanted to earn God's supply. And so he took a piece of paper and he, he wrote down everything that he wanted to do for God. Every missionary trip, every... Uh, everything that he gave to God, every word he would say in testimony, he wrote everything down that he wanted to do for God. And he took that sheet of paper and the pad and he walked into the church house and he, he, he went laid it on the altar and he prayed, but he didn't get any peace from doing that. He said, well, maybe it's not enough. He went back home and he took time and he, he formulated that list of things that 
he wanted to do for God and he was going to give to God and he made his list longer and more intense and, and more detailed. And So the next time that the church was not occupied, he slips into the sanctuary, lays that pad on the altar and he begins praying to God. He was really thinking that God would say, that is wonderful, son. I'm going to meet you here and I'm going to supply your need. But it didn't happen. Instead, God told him something different as he spoke into the, the mind and understanding of this person. God said, why don't you bring me a blank pad? Put the date at the top, sign your name at the bottom, and let me fill it in. And then I will supply all of your needs according to my riches. Sometimes we do have to give, we do have to do in order to receive. But God let us know that I will supply all of your needs. When the prophet came to the woman that had just a little bit of meal and oil in a barrel and she was going to eat that little bit and starve to death, she had to make her condition known to the prophet before the prophet ever was used of God to bring a miracle. But sometimes we have to state our dilemmas to God. That's what prayer is all about. Sometimes we, we are so separated from God till we don't understand or believe or feel that He can supply our need. But I just want to assure you today, God can supply all of our needs always according to his riches sometimes our petitions and our requests are limited by our experiences but instead I encourage you get into the word of God and let it stretch you beyond your experiences and stretch you into what the promises are of God and what his hope really is God can do it I open the altars today invite you to come as a group asking God to open my understanding so that by His grace, by His strength, I can tap into that supplying all of my needs. I will.